how do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very, very special guest with me today. I have Ed Rossage, who is the CEO of Brightfin 6X Inc. 5000 fastest growing company. He's also CEO of Holidays for Heroes, which is a nonprofit created to help active duty military people get home for Christmas. Author of A Solid Handshake, which is a book. On uh, top of it, too, he's had seven X's and created over $3 billion. That's like a Dr. Evil B billion dollars in increased shareholder value for multiple PE companies. Welcome, Ed. Happy to have you on the show, man. I'm so excited to be here, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was fun just talking with you in advance, like it always is for me with uh, my guests. So just so we can give everybody a quick perspective on where you're at now, it sounds like you've had a lot of exits. Um, Let's walk through your revenue rundown. So where are you at in terms of the ARR revenue range? Yeah, Brightfin's uh, revenue uh, is between 32 and 36 million uh, in ARR. We're growing. Uh, it's, It's an exciting run. Okay, excellent. And then what's your, your primary go-to-market strategy? Is it sales, marketing, product-led, market-led? What would you classify? Yeah, so um, I, it's an interesting question. You know, some companies talk about being product-led companies. Some t- companies talk about being, you know, sales go-to-market-led. Um, I like to think of us as a solutions-led company. I, I don't want to solely rely on a great product or solely rely on a great sales force, service group. Um, we really try to deliver a whole a whole package without necessarily being being led by one. So solutions led. <laughs> that's like that's a good. I've never heard anybody like answer that. And I don't know how I feel about it. like if I feel really good about that or if I feel like, hey, man, give me a little bit more, man. So are, are you bringing customers in primary through sales or um, a lot of inbound. That's kind of more what I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, you know, it's a combination of both. So we right. do a lot of direct selling. We also have a very vibrant partner ecosystem. Oh, nice. Um, we also have a lot of word of mouth. We are uh, a unique product. And uh, as you know, folks in various industries talk amongst themselves about what's working, what's not working. And so we have a lot of um, uh, client referrals pros- that, that turn into prospects. So uh, and then we get some inbound and we have a BDR group and all the other things you'd sort of uh, contemplate. But uh, yeah, we, it's uh, not one, not one crush to, to hold us up. We get, uh, we get input from a lot of places. Okay. And have you systemized referrals at all? Have you found a way to systemize customer to prospect referrals? Um, probably not as good as we'd like to. Um, it's mostly uh, word of mouth. You know, we, we get included in a lot of conversations because of people moving around in the industry, but we don't have a systemic uh, approach to it. Okay. And then what's your team size? Yeah, so the company's north of 325 people. When you drill it down just specifically in sales, when you think about direct selling, channel sales, Sales enablement, sales ops, all the sort of you know, sales engineering. It's about a 35, 40 person sales unit. Okay, cool. Excellent. And then, you know, can you explain your solution in maybe three, four sentences or less? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are the only company in the world, and I mean that, 
um, that offers technology expense management built on top of the ServiceNow uh, workflow architecture. So think about a big Fortune 500 organization, everybody running around with tens of thousands of company issued these fixed lines, uh, software subscriptions, cloud subscriptions. It's a, it's a crazy complex thing to manage. Our software helps folks get visibility to the spend, uh, forecast where the spend is going, and then manage contracts and things like that. So it's, a, it's really a vital set of software for, you know, again, Fortune 1000 globally running ServiceNow. Yeah, ServiceNow is doing a hell of a job, right? They're, they're supposed to top off at, um, <laughs> it was funny, they, there's a post about this with the enterprise space and, and how that, you know, they're, they're specifically enterprise only. And then you look at it and they're like, well, they've outgrown the Inc. 1000. Now they have the Inc. 2000. And so it's interesting, but they're still getting that enterprise buy from them. So, yeah, um, they, yeah they're, they're ubiquitous in the Fortune 2000 global. Yeah. So what about, are, are you bootstrapped or funded? Yeah, so we um, were put together actually by a private equity firm out of Chicago, Periscope Equity. They had a hypothesis about our market and they took three companies, believe it or not, during the peak of COVID and put them together uh, as a single entity called Brightfin. Uh, uh, nobody met each other in person. It was all done via 2D. Uh, and so we formed the company in January of 2020, uh, uh, excuse me, 2021, uh, right at the peak of COVID. And uh, we just started getting back in person here in the last quarter or two. That's wild. Uh, they, and can I ask you this just out of curiosity, like how big was the company in terms of the parts when you guys first formed in terms of revenue? Yeah, um, you know, probably five to six million in ARR less than we are today. Okay. Um, each of those entities were, you know, 10 uh, ish sub 10 ish, uh, million in ARR. And so when we got combined together, we were underneath 30. Okay, cool. So let's, I mean, obviously you're doing some amazing things today and I definitely want to dig into that story a little bit later, but let's, let's get into, you know, how you got to this point. Cause one of the things that I mentioned is you're a marathon runner. Uh, we talked before, I know you got a vineyard, you're doing lots of cool things. You've been in advisory, seven exits. Uh, that's a hell of a journey, right? You're, you're just getting started. You got a nonprofit that you're the CEO of, which is amazing. Uh, so how did you get to this point? Like, that's a, that's a lot, a lot of different things. It's almost like you kind of sound like a, a, the Forrest Gump of the SaaS world with all the different adventures you've had, right? Well, so Yeah, I will tell you this, and it's not false humility. I am one of the luckiest people on the face of the planet when it's come to my uh, life, uh, both professionally and personally. Um, I was lucky enough to be part of a team that JMI Equity and Hellman Friedman had pulled together to buy a company called Blackbaud, which is uh, a, a household name in not-for-profit fundraising software. It was part of the team that uh, took that public. And I stayed with um, JMI Equity companies uh, 80% of my career, frankly, up until the last uh, little bit. I'm still on an advisory board or two with JMI on a couple of other things. But um, I've been fortunate enough to be with the right group of people on the right projects at the right time. And uh, again, really lucky. Of course, I've worked hard and you know, didn't make 
some bad decisions and things like that. But really, it was about the setup, who I was running with, and and um, that team. That is very humble. <laughs> so, yeah, but but it's it's obviously you're doing something right. So you you got put together with an awesome team, and you mentioned that before we even started the show, right? About just some of the amazing people that you've worked with. You know, what's I guess like what's the common thread that you saw at, that delivered seven exits? And, you know, that's leading to the, the growth from that combination right now. Like, what's a common thread that you see? Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things. Um, repeatable, operational uh, processes. Um, measuring what gets done. Um, I'm a big fan of the book Predictive Revenue uh, on the sales and go-to-market front. And have implemented that playbook both as a SVP of sales, COO, CEO, and I'm a big fan of that. Um, I would also say 100% of it is codependent on the, the executive team that you build and the people, you know, they're, they're next and they're next and they're next. Because I'm a firm believer if you get a decent idea with great people behind it, um, you can do some amazing things. And I sorry, I didn't put my mic on mute there. It seems like there's like a lawnmower, like uh, that's just like hanging outside my window right now. And I don't, they don't want to go <laughs> away. <laughs> like earlier today, like I got, I was all all pumped because I got fiber in for internet, and then my internet crashed. And then now, like it's been quiet all day, and then it just sounds like literally there's like a wood chipper outside my window. So, anyways. <laughs> it's like doing a demo right like that big demo they they you're one of your team has and everything goes wrong um so okay predictable revenue codependent on amazing leadership team like how do you get more granular than that so like if you're creating the engine of operational excellence to do that and when you say predictable revenue i understand what you mean but you know you the listener might not understand exactly what that means so can you walk through the specifics of what you mean by applying the principles in that book yeah, so I think there's a number of things that, that um, in that book that I've taken away and modified and observed, and, and frankly, I don't have any new ideas of my own. I rip off everybody else's good ideas, but you know, um, it really starts with marketing, uh, making sure you've got a multi-fronted marketing approach that is measurable. Um, lots of KPIs underneath, you know, MQLs probably being the one that you're, you're most interested in and the conversion to sales accepted uh, leads. And then uh, a well-defined, well-gated sales process um, that starts with BDRs that um, take these MQLs and, and do their thing and try to get them converted into discovery calls, sales accepted leads, et cetera. Um, in addition, then, you know, going into that gated pipeline, you know, a lot of, a lot of unsophisticated sales organizations say, you know, give me a forecast. Well, I think that one's coming in. I think that one's coming in. If you get a lot of at-bats and you're measuring it well, in each stage, you can gauge close rates, days to close. Um, you can influence deal sizes. And what you're really looking for are prospect uh, defined indicators to take all of the you know, Kentucky poetry out of the uh, sales forecasting process and say, hey, look, we've got 17 deals in stage one. Um, 
two gates to get into the next stage of stage two. And oh yeah, by the way, we know that when we reach here, 37% of our deals close, we reach here, 27% and on down the line. And um, if you can build that and get enough people adhering to it and have a sales leadership team that can uh, do the forensics to make sure there's no, uh, you know, inflation or deflation, you can build a pretty good predictable uh, revenue path uh, just by reverse engineering how many you need of X, Y, and Z in order to make an outcome. And that's what I mean by predictable revenue. Okay. Yeah, I, I love that. And it's, yeah, it's measuring to the metrics. And like, it's funny, I was talking about this with the founder yesterday about setting up his own operating system for managing those metrics, right? Like, yeah. because it's easy to have when you're earlier on or you're bootstrapped and you're not, you're not familiar with that model to like have a one-on-one once a month with your team, right? Because you're managing the rest of the business or um, other things like that. But like, if you get it down to that level, I mean, there's like, I, I mean, I mapped out six or seven easy indicators that you could use to grow revenue without adding a single person or without adding a single SDR, right? Like, sure. So, yeah, I think I, I think you nailed it on the head right there. Well, um, yeah, I think one of the things I, I usually whiteboard out for people is, you know, there's really only three or four things you can actually influence. Um, your close rate, um, the number of opportunities you have in your pipeline, um, the size of the pipeline, and then days within the pipeline. And if you can get five to 10% improvement across each of those metrics, that compounding accumulative improvement pays big dividends. Oh, I lost you on the, I lost your sound. Sorry about that. I had to my Lawnmower guy, right? The lawnmower is just like hanging out. Um, <laughs> so we got close rate, you got days in the cycle, right? Then you got size and then the quantity Number. going in. Yeah. 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 Those are the four things you can influence and everything else sort of centers around those four things. Yep. Where do you see, because like the number one thing that I see people miss is the speed, right? They ignore the speed. Um, they don't, because I mean, it's pretty simple math, right? If you could do 12 deals in 12 months, um, if you do 12 deals in six months and you still have the other variables consistent, you just double your revenue, right? So, right. Um, but if we're talking, where do you see, like with all the, the companies you've worked with, the operating companies, where, what do you think of that formula that you talked about in predictable, predictable revenue with uh, all the way from MQLs, SQLs to the sales stage? What do you think is the hardest part for companies to execute on? like SaaS companies in particular? I think if you had asked me this question a couple of years ago, I would have given you a different answer. Um, but I think COVID has made the marketing BDR function really hard because most of us are not working from an office. Uh, most of us aren't posting our cell phone numbers for phone calls in. And so um, you really have to do right now, I believe the hardest work is to cut through the noise digitally uh, on your website, your, your uh, digital marketing, uh, BDR outreach, managing that process. Because, you know, back, back when I was learning how to sell, you, know, you get on the phone and you just pound it, smiling and dialing, and you didn't have, a, you didn't have all the tools we have today. 
you didn't have, you know, all the sophistication around tracking email opens and things like that. And MQLs weren't, you know, um, you know, nurture campaigns and, you know, lead scoring, all that, that didn't exist 20 years ago the way it does today. But uh, I think that BDR function is the hardest thing right now. Yeah. Well, especially because it's, it's a mentally tough job to do. Um, the shelf life numbers wise is about 18 months where people yep. get fried on it. And based on the comp, you're typically targeting and the responsibilities people that are shortly out of school or just out of school, you know, totally. so you mix the lack of experience, the mental whipping that you get, and then, then just the complexity of the job too. So yeah, that, that totally makes sense. That, it's funny. Cause that's where I started off too. Um, making 250 dials a day. Uh, I wasn't a BDR and I'm doing air quotes right now. I wasn't a BDR, but it was like, it almost, <laughs> it almost reminded me of like a boiler room, right. Where we had to like one call close people and just like dial and dial and dial. So um, my heart goes out to anybody who's going through that. Cause it's, it's a yeah. tough job, but it's character building. I've always wondered what would happen, you know, cause when you think about it, it's sort of weird. You're putting the most inexperienced, uh, least wisdom filled person on the front end of that sales process. I always wondered what would happen if you took one of your big game hunters and put them on the front end of the pipeline to have that initial dialogue, if they can get, make a connection with somebody at a prospect to see if it would alter the outcome. Because I think what ends up happening a lot, the BDRs, as you said, maybe fresh out of college, maybe their first sales job, a sophisticated buyer, if they do answer the phone, for example, or do respond to an email, if you match that person up with a relatively inexperienced sales resource, the outcome is not going to be so strong. I always wondered what would happen if you put a good vet on the front end of that, pay them a ton of money for conversions or discos or whatever. Um, but I wonder if you get a different different outcome. All right, Ed. So one of the things that that, that I was thinking through, you just mentioned, first of all, we got predictable revenue, you know, that, that would, and you classified, we, we dug into that. What about leadership? You know, you mentioned you had an awesome leadership team that you worked with through multiple exits. I know you wrote, literally wrote a book on it. So what's your perspective on leadership and like, how do you create a team um, like you did to create the results that, that you've already achieved? Yeah, so um, been fortunate to have been drafted into some great teams, and then also as a CEO, Chief Operating Officer, uh, been able to build some great teams. And I think, you know, uh, Warren Buffett's not wrong, right? Integrity and intelligence, um, you know, are, are two of the biggest components, uh, biggest factors in uh, building great leadership teams. I think uh, additionally, uh, I'm a big fan of Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions uh, uh, book. And in fact, the last two or three companies that I've been at, we've brought in uh, table group uh, affiliates to create that team one atmosphere with the executive leadership team, you know, trust, healthy conflict, uh, results orientation, you know, being three of the, the five pillars. And it, it's really changed because what I really don't want uh, the leadership team doing is burning any calories, trying to figure out if I could trust you or, or are we all in this together? Are we trying to be building fiefdoms and very parochial? And we're thinking um, this leadership team that um, 
partly uh, inherited, partly created, the last leadership team partly inherited, partly created. Uh, we don't spend a lot of time, we don't spend any time on politics or trying to figure out how to protect our own turf. It's how are we going to win today? How are we going to uh, focus on the mission versus who's, how many people are getting you know, X, Y, and Z reports or whatever underneath the org chart or playing those kind of games? And I think that, that really frees up time and resources to focus on the things that matter. The other thing is uh, I'm a big fan of rhythm systems, and I don't know if that's a, a, a familiar term, but and there's a software uh, philosophy and a strategic philosophy out of North Carolina that I've been with, uh, been with the last couple of companies where you set up an operating cadence, uh, a rhythm per se, um, and focusing uh, on 13-week sprints at the executive level on key initiatives that you've identified a year in advance. And it really, it really focuses uh, the team. Um, there are dashboards, red, yellow, green dashboards. Uh, and so that ethos of Team One that the table group espouses combined with an operational cadence Two very powerful dynamics that I think improve uh, the the rate of speed for any company. Okay, and I, and I love that. Is the the solution you use called Results BI at all, or no? No, it's actually Rhythm Systems. Oh, um, it's called Rhythm Systems. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah. Rhythm Cloud, Cloud, I think, uh, is where they're at. Okay, so you, I, I, when you said Rhythm Systems, I thought you meant it was just like a okay. So that's actually the name of the company. Okay, so that that's really cool. Results BI is a friend of the pod. It was one of the Mark's one of the founders I, I interviewed on here. So and he, he talks about this specifically with, you know, the 13-week formula of, of yeah. leveraging that. So, and, and I think the last ingredient is setting forth a number of principles. So our company has 10 operating principles that I talk about nearly every week, every town hall. We use them as our, our operating system as humans. And, you know, a lot of them are focused on trust being our only commodity, transparency, um, you know, uh, everything we do should be on the front page of the New York Times or, you know, some, something we'd be proud of. It showed up in the press somewhere. And so there's 10 things that we uh, talk about, aspire to, uh, try to live to. We fail sometimes, just like everybody else does. We're human. But those three things, those three elements you know, the team one idea, an operating cadence and uh, a human operating system, those three things will propel you much further than, than anybody, any haphazard approach. I love that. So like, it's like a single source of team truth. Uh, you mentioned that rhythm operating system and then the principles, right? The 10 principles, mm -hmm. would you be comfortable walking us through the 10 principles? Cause I, I know you mentioned integrity and honesty or transparency, I should say. Yeah, so, yeah, I'll see if I can pull all 10 of them off the top <laughs> of my head I have them in front of me. So this will be a real test. But, you know, I think uh, transparency uh, is one. And, you know, to illustrate that, like almost every number our company gets uh, in a report from me on uh, town halls, things like that, I, uh, I want people to be informed and they don't have to necessarily agree with every decision we make. Um, but at least they, they have the context and information to understand some of the decisions, whether they agree with them or not. 
Um, trust being our only currency, that, uh, that's, that's critical. Um, being results and performance oriented is third. Um, not doing anything we'd be unproud of if it got out of our building. You know, um, you see all sorts of bad headlines with companies doing stuff that they, they shouldn't be doing. Um, collaboration, consensus building is our main vehicle to get to the best decisions uh, is another one. No gossip, no drama, no energy waste on, on uh, uh, things like that. Uh, only hiring the best people we can and keeping the best people we, we can. Uh, so those are, I think, eight of them. And I'm going to struggle the last night, the last one or two, and I'll slap myself on the forehead when I go back <laughs> later. But uh, they're all, they're, they're, they're not non-commonsensical, but I've really tried to orient the company and the leadership team has really tried to orient the company on let's, let's be a snow white business. Let's do the right thing every time. And, you know, we might lose, uh, in the short run, but the long run, we're going to, those principles are going to drive us forward. Well, and I think I might know your answer on this, but I, lo- I mean, I love the concept of it because you threw yeah. results oriented in there, but then it's the rest of it's around, around being a good person and treating people right. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And that's it's- where the, the one is I forgot um, dignity and respect. Um, okay. We're going to offer dignity and respect to all of our teammates, our partners, our clients and investors. Okay. So I'm in alignment. I'm getting it. So what would you say is the, the biggest challenge on executing on those consistently, especially when you have a human living organization of different people and personalities and priorities and egos and, and motivation? So like, what's the biggest challenge on making that a, a continuous reality? Yeah. yeah, one of the principles is bad news should travel faster than good. That was the 10th one that I forgot. And I think that's one of the hardest ones for people to get their heads wrapped around because what happens in most organizations? You, you try to polish the bad news so it's not necessarily bad news. And I, I'm constantly telling the team, like, look, bad news should travel faster than good so we can fix it and learn from it. And it, no stoning of messengers here. And, you know, if you did your homework and you put in the work and something blew up, hey, that's okay. I, you know, I, I do five of those a day myself where it's like, okay, this is what I should do here. I've done my homework. Wow. seemed like a good idea at the time, but boy, it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work out. And it takes a while for people to really get it that you actually mean that. And, you know, of course you can't make horrific mistakes every day, you know, at infinitum, but, you know, don't worry about coming to the table with a red on your dashboard if you did your homework and, you know, just figure out, you know, offer the solution. I know it sounds so trite and cliche, but, you know, just fix it. Talk about fixing it. Um, don't worry about getting beat up for it. I love that. Yeah. Those are, I mean, those are great operating principles. I, I, I might, I might borrow some of them, Re- recycle, borrow, um, <laughs> integrate. the PowerPoint slide, but I didn't manage to hit all 10 of them. I had the, the other, the, I added the other two late. It's all right. I put you on the spot. It's understandable. So, so it sounds like you, I mean, I, I get why you wrote a book on leadership now after talking through this deal with you. What's your single biggest challenge with growing right now? Resources. There's never enough resources to, to tackle everything you want to tackle. So um, whether it's brain resources, capital resources, time resources, 
those three things are, are really hard to come by. And what it forces you to do is to get really smart on your priorities and figure out how to say no to as many things as you possibly can. Our chief customer officer has a saying, um, walk by some of the dumpster fires because there's a house on fire down the road. Don't worry about that dumpster that's burning. Go get, go attack the house. And he's so right um, because a lot of people get squirreled, right, by every little thing that comes their way. You know, yep, that dumpster's on fire, but I'm going to keep walking by it because I had to go attack this bigger thing is, is something I think we learn as a result of having resource constriction. I love that. Uh, all right. Well, let's, we're just about up on time and this is an awesome, awesome time that we spent, even though that the, uh, the lawnmower has been outside half the time, distracted me, but been focused on you, man, because it's very easy. You're, you're dropping some gold here. So, okay. Um, just to wrap things up, like, uh, what's your favorite book that you've read? The favorite book I've read. Well, for like two years too. It doesn't have to be all yeah. time. I'm a big fan of principles by Ray Dalio. Um, I'm a big fan of any uh, Stoic era philosophy books. Uh, Marcus Aurelius uh, just picked up another great one. Uh, I've been I've read it three times now. Um, the Practicing Stoic by uh, Wayne Farnsworth. I think it's net Wade Farnsworth. Oh, cool. um, uh, another one I just picked up about a month ago and read it two or three times already is the Almanac of Naval Ravikant. I don't know if you've heard of that one, but man, you talk about dropping some gold. Um, that's a great book. I've never, I've heard of Naval. I've never heard of that book though, ironically. So yeah, it, it's a guy who uh, compiled, compiled and condensed all his podcasts, all of his writing into a book. And literally, you know, it's one of those books you, you just dump into a vat of highlighter ink by the time you're done versus, you know, little ones here and there. Because every, almost every word in it was just amazing. To me, it was. Wow. So who's the a CEO or founder then that the, you admire and, and look up to what they're doing and trying to emulate? Hmm. I, I'm not sure I would say any one. Like... Um, you look at some of the luminary names like Tim Cook. Oh my gosh. Amazing operational genius. You look at Elon Musk, you know, Elon's got his, got his um, nuances, but you can't argue against his brilliance and ability to take ideas to the next level. Um, you know, I, I had a CEO I worked for early in my career, a guy named Bob Sawalski that taught me probably 70% of what I know now. Like, so I, I, um, I have borrowed, from probably, you know, 10 uh, different CEOs, you know, Jack Welsh, I know it's an old name, but boy, there was some gold in some of the stuff he did. I mean, he rubbed some people the wrong way as well, but there was some real gold there. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. Like I was thinking of that when you were talking earlier, like some of the principles with the human operating system, uh, it's like talked about a lot in the book, um, the Rockefeller principles, you know, the, or the rock mastering the Rockefeller habits, I think is what it's called. Um, and then principles, yeah, I've read that too, but it's been it's been a while. I read it right when it came out, so I imagine I'd have a completely different view of it now. I go back. I, my thing is, I um, I used to brag about how many books I read. Now many now I brag about how many times I've read a book because every time you go back to a book, you're in a different place in your life and your wisdom, and you know maybe some words that didn't hop at you three years ago. You're like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense now. 
It's true. I used to have the same thing. I'm, I'm in the habit now of rereading books multiple times because of the, yeah. the different layers. I mean, on average, people only retain about 10%. If you're good, maybe 20 to 30. So that means there's a whole 60, 70% of it's a really good book to get the rest of it out of it. So, um, okay. Last but not least, what advice would you give to yourself knowing what you know now when you're first starting in business or, or working at your first startup? Hmm. Um, I would... Uh, I've gotten, a, uh, I've come a long way in my career, but I, I would say um, be focused on trying to figure out ways to help people around you versus focusing on trying to help yourself. Because I've gotten so much better at it my my later career years. But I was one of those guys who was focused, especially in sales. Right, you're you're a shark. You're trying to find that one drop of blood in the water to go get, um, and you really. You, you're probably not a joy to be around. <laughs> and, and what I found um, as I toned down, uh, some, your, your best leaders aren't necessarily the ones that are all in it for themselves. They're the ones that figure out a way to coach and share and, and uh, get people to uh, step up a level on their own without them realizing that you helped them do it. And I would say that would be something, those three, that sort of thematic, uh, don't focus so much on myself, focus on how to help others. That, that, I wish I had learned that a lot earlier in my career. It's hard because it seems counterintuitive sometimes, you know. Yeah. But Well, the best sales managers are never, the best sales leaders are never, there might be one in the history of selling, right? Whenever <laughs> your best performers, they're, they're in the top 30% usually, but they're the people that people go to for help. And those are the ones that typically us that rise up in a sales org. Well, yeah. And a real life example of that is like, look at Michael Jordan, right? Probably the best player that ever lived. Uh, depending on, on who, who you back, but I would back him as the goat for basketball it was a terrible sure. coach, right? Like yeah. it, it didn't work out. Right. And then you look at like Steve Kerr, um, who was good. You know, he wasn't best of all time or hall of fame level, but, and he's, potentially a hall of fame coach now, you know? So it's just kind of crazy how that changes. So I love that. So it was awesome having you on the show, Ed. Can, can you let people know where they could find you, where they could find out more about Brightfin and um, holidays for the heroes and, and stuff like that? Yeah. So probably the best place to go for all of that in one concise place is my LinkedIn profile, Ed Rosich, R-O-S-H-I-T-S-H at LinkedIn. And I've got my links to Brightfin, Holidays for the Heroes, uh, book, whatever. Uh, that's probably the easiest place, my LinkedIn profile. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure having you on, man. It was great getting your perspective on leadership. I, I know there's a handful of things that I can instantly leverage from what we discussed today. So uh, thank you for sharing and giving back. Well, thanks for inviting me. I, I feel privileged. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.